Hello and welcome to That's So Craven. We are now streaming live on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and Twitch. Make sure you follow us on all social media and subscribe to be notified when a live recording starts. Please, please, please share That's So Craven with your Fulham friends to keep our community growing. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and come on you whites. Freed from desire, mind and senses purified. Freed from desire, mind and senses purified. Freed from desire, mind and senses purified. Freed from desire. Hello and welcome to the That's So Craven podcast, your film podcast from Down Under. We're here today to discuss the one-all draw with Wolves on Friday night. I'm joined today by Elton. How are we going? Very well, thank you. Sammy, how are we? I'm good. I'm finally back from my long hiatus, but very happy to be here. Good stuff. And for the first time on the podcast, we're joined by Ash from FFC and me. Ash, how are we? Awake, but I'm here. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, apologies for the very, very early start. Uh, It's the joy of recording a podcast in Australia and bringing on guests in the UK. Uh, It's my pleasure, don't worry. Good stuff. So look, guys, we're here to discuss the game on Friday night. Ash, you were obviously on the ground there. Um, Just give us your your thoughts going into the game, what you were expecting out of this one, because it was one we talked about a fair bit where, you know, Wolves sitting quite low in the table at the moment, but we know that they have a good side and we've struggled against them in the league as well over the last few years. How did you feel going into this game? Um, I think... Probably for the first time in a little while for home game, I was a bit apprehensive. Um, when you look at their squad, it's it's decent. You know, I think Wolves are in a bit of a false position in the league, and we were definitely depleted without Mitro, and because we knew he wasn't going to be there, I think most of us were aware he wasn't going to play. Um, we know that completely changes us going forward. Um, and what what we didn't want to happen is exactly what happened in the game that they got a goal. And then they managed to sit back, but press at the same time. So mm. I think going into the game, I was wary. They have a lot of really dangerous players. Everyone knows how good Ruben Neves is. Um, Mario Lamina, we we know how good he is. We have experience mm. seeing how good he is. Um, and they seem to be quite a good unit. They've been really depleted by injuries this season, Wolves. Um, so I sort of think they're in a false position in the league. Um, and and they, they work well as a team. And it's exactly what happened. On Friday night. So going into the game, I wasn't expecting an easy game. We didn't get an easy game. I knew it would mm. be hard to get points, but uh, still sort of, we could have done better, but we'll talk about that. Yeah. Sammy, we, before the game, I'm sure you listened back to the podcast, even though you weren't on it, but before the game, we uh, we were manifesting Solomon to start by leaving him off our predicted lineup. Um were you surprised that he didn't start considering two games off the bench, two goals, um, and you know just the obvious quality that he has? Were you expecting to see Solomon in the starting lineup? No, I actually wasn't. I was expecting William to start just purely because I know that um, Silva really likes him in that off the bench kind of role. I I I actually really like him in that role as well, and. Uh, at, at this stage in the competition, how well he's done, you just can't really bench William. I think next week we're probably more likely to see William move to the right, which is what he did um, uh, in the second half. But yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't surprised at all to see Solomon um, like 
not start. If anything, I was surprised to see him get like a full 45 minutes. Yeah, we'll, we'll obviously come on to the fact that we made a couple of halftime substitutions, which is very unlike what Silva's done in the past. Um, Dad, were you in any way surprised by the fact that we saw Vinicius start rather than Bobby Reed after last week's sort of failed experiment? No, not at all. Uh, I think um, I don't think. Well, I, I from from the intel that we were picking up on Twitter and elsewhere, and I think Silva was very open about it. I don't think there was any chance that Mitro was going to start. He did mention on Thursday in his pre uh, presser that there was some possibility that, and they'd make a decision on Friday. But I, I think it was pretty obvious that he wasn't going, going to start. And I think Silva's admission that uh, Bobby didn't work against Brighton, you know, made everyone, I think, fairly certain that Vinicius was going to be given a, given a chance to start. Yeah, I think you, you're absolutely right there. Um, look, first first 20 minutes of this game, it, it did seem that Wolves were completely in control. And, mm. you know, if for, for a neutral viewer who had no idea about the league table, uh, I'd say it would be understandable if you thought that Wolves were the team actually sitting in, in sixth place and Fulham were the team, you know, halfway, halfway down the table. Um, Ash, what was the feeling like in the ground? Because obviously we've been used to in the last... You know, since since the World Cup break, we've been used to dominating games, apart from maybe the Brighton game. But we've always been in games and on top. Did was there a bit of a sense in the ground that things weren't going our way on the day? I think uh, the first sort of twenty minutes in particular, we looked like we couldn't string more than three or four passes together, and I really think that that hampered our play. We had an awful lot of times where, when we did have the ball, we couldn't make two or three passes. Um, before just giving the ball away. So it was really hard to build up any form of momentum. Um, but what was quite funny is Wolves were being quite direct at that point. So when they had the ball, they were trying to be as quick as they could from getting back to front. But when we were getting the ball, we were just wanting to play around with it a bit about that. We like to, you know, we like to just have the ball and calm play and dictate how things are going. But Wolves mm -hmm. set up in a way that they were pressing quite high and we were really struggling to get the ball forward more than a couple of passes. What wasn't helped, obviously, in that first 20 minutes is Paulinho's yellow card um, because he was sort of, he was doing quite well in the middle of the pitch at, but even though Wolves had quite a lot of ball, but as soon as he he got that yellow card, he went missing for a couple of minutes because he sort of, it, he, he, you can obviously see his disappointment in getting that yellow card. Um, and I think, from watching it on from in the crowd, we, that first 20 minutes, Wolves just seemed to be on it and we just seemed to be a little bit, not lacklustre, but we weren't necessarily playing at our best. Mm. Um, and the, the only thing that was going well in that first 20 minutes for us was the fact that Reem and Diup were managing to control the defence quite well. Mm. Um, but beyond that, everyone was being really, really sloppy on the ball. Um, Bobby Bobby Reed, a couple of times, his passing was just really soft-footed. Um, and there was a few times when we did eventually get up to the edge of the box, he would make a pass that was to someone about five, six yards away, but he would ping it at them like they were 20 yards away. Mm. Um, and then when he, was, when he was getting the ball out wide and he was trying to cross, too many of our crosses that we were getting into the box in that first 20 minutes were literally just lofted. They were floated in. 
Like there was no end. There was that like, they weren't aiming at anybody. They were just aiming for an area in the box and hoping someone would be there. Yeah. So I think, especially the first twenty minutes, we 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 knew what we wanted to do, but no one was on it enough to get it done. Um, and we really struggled. I think just to get a foot on the ball and then get a foot in the game. Mm. Um, whereas Wolves and- sort of started really strong. They came with some real intent, and we sort of struggled to match that. Um, in that first and, 20 minutes for sure. And and to compound that, it seemed that so much of our play was directed through Bobby as well, and it wasn't mm-hmm. coming off. And if you think about the amount of times we went through William, not that much compared to Bobby. Mm-hmm. And um, to, to be fair to him, I, I agree with everything you're saying, Ash, and I, and I think that um, it, it wasn't for a lack of effort, and he actually... He made some really good runs. He actually controlled the ball really well, but his his final product was just just not great at all. And yeah. Um, yeah. anyway, no, it yeah. wasn't. But you could say that for literally everyone on the pitch. Mm. There was an awful lot. We had it. Woodian had it a few times on his side of the pitch where there was some real intent there, um, but the final product was just not good enough. And I think mm. that Robinson and Tete had a similar thing where. Where mm. they were up supporting, they were also that final decision making was was just it was just wrong every single time. When it and Pereira as well. And uh, yes, yeah, Pereira. I think Pereira had for the first time probably this season playing for us. He had one of those games where I think he got a bit frustrated that what he was trying to do just wasn't working, and you can yeah. see that like, he was trying uh, to cover way more ground. Mm, he was trying if to cover I, if way I found more out ground that... than he usually covers. If I'd found out that he'd made two mortgage applications and both got thrown out, <laughs> uh, I, I'd believe it. He 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 seemed to be off his game. Like had like he was distracted. He was frustrated, um, and he. Uh, I don't want to be be too hard on him, but it it was uh, it was a long way from his best game, and I'm not yeah. sure quite what it, what it, what it was, but. Yeah, the feeling from watching it in the feeling from watching the shape of the team in the ground was that it was actually probably because of Vinicius. So he was doing an awful lot of time where he was trying to be with Vinicius to help support him, but then by doing that, he would come out of his normal positions he would make up. So quite a lot of times, the ball would get to would get to Vinny, and it wouldn't be controlled. But then Mm -hmm. the ball would go to where Pereira would usually be standing. So it was, uh, I think, yeah. I think it weak, weakened us there. And I think that was the problem. I think he was maybe trying to do a bit too much. Interesting. And by and that's trying a, that's to the stuff, do too much. That's the stuff that's very difficult to watch through the lens of a TV camera. As great as the coverage is and you get really close to it uh, and you see, you know, that 20 or 30 yards around the ball, but you do not see the action off the ball and the shape of things when the mm. camera's a long way away. And it's very difficult. Genuinely, like, watching it twice, I'm really glad that I did get to watch it try- twice because I'm not sure about you guys, but, like, this game for, like, the first half an hour really felt like a chess match. And there was so much kind of, like, minutiae going on in between <clears throat> play that, like, oh, like it's actually quite exhausting, like, genuinely to, like, watch, like, all the other pieces like um even with like um the wolves goal i had to watch that like three times just to see like actually what happened um yeah jack you yeah, said I, yeah I, I was gonna say i think the point ash made about the final product being poor 
was was really driven home in the first half. And the fact that we had a, such an improved second half as well really drove home how poor the first half was. The, the number of times we had Tete, um, Bobby Reed, Robinson and Willian all getting to the byline, but then playing a ball back, which we like to do, we cut back to the edge of the box and the ball just wasn't there. We were hitting the ball behind Vinicius's run or miles in front of his run. We weren't finding feet. It, it just, it looked off. And what I was going to say, and I was pose it to you, Sammy, do you think um, there's the potential that there's a bit of fatigue there? Not, uh, not necessarily physical fatigue, but also mental fatigue and the fact that we've had some, some pretty tough games over the last sort of six weeks where we've been pushed hard against teams at the top of the league. We've, we've snatched some wins. We, we're, you know, high up the table in sixth spot at the moment. And there, there's a pressure that comes with that. Do you think that there's just a little bit of fatigue creeping in to some of those players like Deckard over Reed, who's been performing out of his skin? Mm. Um, and, and maybe it's just having a bit of an effect now. Yeah, I mean, uh, we have talked about it before on the pod before, but I think, um, and I think it was actually, I heard Jurgen Klopp actually talk about this um, uh, pretty recently. And he was basically saying how at the start of your season, your team should actually be very, very different uh, until like at the end of the season, just purely because like rotation within a side is actually really good and really, really healthy. And you kind of have to uh, get to a point where like, um, your favorite players don't necessarily become your favorite players anymore. And that's actually better for the side because the longer that you actually keep players, like if we're using Liverpool as an example, Firmino is probably like the best one where he's kind of fallen out of favor, but he's not completely forgotten because he still has something to add to the team. And his position is different now. He's actually kind of come a bit more back in than as opposed to at the start of the season. And um I mean, it, it all leads into um, uh, people like Sasa Lukic joining and what they can actually add to the team at this point in the season um, in comparison to, say, like uh, what Harrison Reed brings. Because, uh, I mean, we saw it in the second half. Obviously, Harrison Reed was injured. But uh, as the season progresses, teams expect things of us. And I think... Uh, if I genuinely, I think Wolves watched the Brighton game and were literally like, oh, okay, so now we know how to nullify Fulham. Great, let's do that. And it worked. Um, they played from the back, high press. It was, it felt very similar to the first half of the Brighton game. And then when you have players like Solomon come on and actually join that mix and join at a different time of the game. I, I think it just dramatically changed a lot of things for us. I forgot what your original question was, but I was going to um, say you've completely ignored my question. But that's fine. Yeah, we yeah, can yeah, move yeah, on yeah. from there. Let's, I, let's talk. Yeah, I said something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, not sure, but yeah, yeah. let's uh, let's talk about the Wolves' goal itself. Um, Ash, you obviously saw it live, and you've got a much better view of of the pitch while you're live and, and able to see the movement. Do you think uh, I saw quite a few comments on Twitter saying maybe we should have done better? I mean, Sarabia has a lot of time for that finish. Do you think mm. Fulham should have actually avoided conceding that goal? I, I, firstly, he took it really, really well. The actual strike yeah. was taken really, really well. So there's not much Leno could have done. But what I would argue was a couple of players were ball-watching a bit. Tim Ream has been outstanding this season, but I think he was ball-watching a bit. Um, yeah. I think that Robinson wasn't quite in his position as well. 
um, which is sort of why the ball ended up being with him when he scored. Um, it's one of those really frustrating ones that we used to have this problem last season, where especially when we would concede late in the game, where people would get found sort of just stopping. And I think that yeah. happened. I think for a, it was only it was only for a couple of seconds, but in this league you cannot do that. You yeah. stopped for a second, sort of trying to make sure that everyone was in shape and that everyone was had their man. But by that point, he was already shooting. Yeah, um, and I don't think that helps. I think that you know, it's one of those things, and it's we know what the Premier League is like. It doesn't matter who you're playing, um, and it's one of the the beauties of the league is that if you you will get punished for doing certain things. And I think that's exactly what happened. I think we just, a couple of players were ball watching. I think Pereira sort of lost his man when he, even though he had trapped back, which was great. And he was ball watching a bit for the original pass that then came in. And then we were punished for it. And that's what happens in this league. If you, if you, if you don't fully stay switched on all the time, especially when you're defending a team who have a lot of midfield talent like Wolves do, who have the ability to pass the ball in between them quite quickly, um, you have to stay switch on and we won't. And I think that's just why we conceded. Um, yeah. And it's it's one of those, it's a mix of concentration and a good finish. We're 1-0 down. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely a good finish. And I think you're right in saying that Leno couldn't have done any more there. I mean, if he saves that, it's an exceptional save. But the fact is the ball gets played in from deep. Uh, it is a very good little head back from... Um, I think it's Jimenez Excellent. heads it back. Um, uh, Raul, Raul, yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> really good knockback. But the fact is, Sarabia is in the box. There are six other Fulham players in the box, and he's probably yes. got 10 metres either side of him. Or maybe not yeah. 10 metres, but yeah. at least 10 yards, either like a circle around him where he's just in acres of space. And, I mean, the ball falls to him. He has so much time to – he takes a touch and still has probably a second until someone actually closes him down. We, we probably should do better there. And admittedly, we we haven't had to sort of talk about where we should do better much this season. But like you say, the Premier League, fine margins, oh, Scott Parker, fine margins throughout the whole year. But these are the kind of, kind of instances where you do need to be a little bit better. And, you know, if we, if we close that down, if we don't concede a couple of late goals as well through the rest of the season. We're in a Champions League spot at the moment. Our form has been that good. So it, it is those those small moments and those fine margins that you do need to actually improve on to to push yourself up the league and be in, you know, Champions League spots. To to be fair to to Wolves, I, I, I thought we, we focused almost entirely on perhaps a mistake there by Robinson and, and Reem, but the build-up play was actually very, very sweet. They, they, those were very, very good passes, and I thought it was really good thinking from Raoul to knock that back to um, um, what's his name? Uh, Sarita, goal scorer, Sarabia, Sarabia, Sarabia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah, yeah. Um, thank you. Um, so, look. That, that that was a, a pretty sweet movement to actually set that up. Let's be honest. Yeah. And uh, we, we definitely could have done better, but it really did look like we just fell asleep for a moment there. Not not, not um, just one player, but a couple of players fell asleep. Yeah. yeah no, I think I think you're right. 
So, um, <laughs> look, so let's obviously the rest of the half, Fulham seemed to come back into it in the last five minutes um, before half time. But, Ash, at half time, what was the feeling like in the ground? How was everyone feeling this one was going to pan out? Did it feel like one of those games that we've seen over the last seven years, let's say, where you're just going to lose to a team who are below you in the league and, and you shouldn't be losing a game like this? Like how you say seven years for me, it's been the last thirty-four years. But sure. um, I think it's one—it's it's one of those things that uh, I think that there was a lot of frustration, especially in the in the in the hammy end. There was a lot of frustration because you could see that there was no lack of effort; it was just a lack of quality. I think that what mm. what one of the things that most people were really concerned about was the fact that it was quite obvious after Harrison Reed had taken a knock that we'd lost a bit of bite in the centre of the park. Yeah. Um, and they, the walls were just taking advantage of it. Neves, just he had the run of the pitch. Like he, he, he had the run of play. Um, and we really, really struggled. And we were all sat there saying that we need to make changes. But you, the, that we don't make changes at half-time. That's not what we do. We wait. We wait for the 65th, 70th minutes. We we weren't expecting any changes. The only change we were expecting was maybe if Re- if Harrison Reed couldn't continue. Mm. Um, so we weren't. So we all sat there when we were talking to people. When I was talking to people, they were all saying the exact same things. So we were just missing a bit of bite. The ball yeah. wouldn't stick to Vinicius, which meant we didn't really have much of a an outlet. And Wolves were just having fun with it. The other thing we did quite, we were all noticing was that Wolves, especially after they scored, they've made a real effort to, every time we had a goal kick, they were getting three men at the edge of the box to stop us being able to play around with the ball. Mm. And one of the biggest problems with that was is that it then meant Leno had to take almost every goal kick long that was going to Vinicius, who wasn't winning the headers. So yeah. they they almost had like a perfect storm of being able to control the ball because they knew that it was basically us getting the ball to the halfway line and then them getting the ball back. Yeah. Um, so that that was a lot of frustration there. We were we were calling out for substitutions. We were calling out for some change in approach, um, and luckily we got it. Mm. Because and the, do, the, do, the, even do the... you think? Do do you think that when Harrison Reed got that injury and it did look quite serious, mm. um, he he was shaking his head. He looked like he was in quite a lot of pain. And Jack and I were talking about this uh, yesterday. The, the, there was half a camera lens on him for a couple of minutes, and you could see him hobbling around trying to run it off. But for quite a while, he he wasn't moving freely. And for the job that he does, he's got to be mobile, 100% fit, and able to cover the miles he does you know, during the course of a game. That's what he does. Yeah. And do, do you think that was a tactical error of Silvers to, to not have trust in Lukic and bring him on earlier? I don't think it was a case of not trusting Lukic. I think it was a case of, um, as we discussed sort of last week when we were talking about you, you, you guys were discussing about having your best players on the pitch as much as you often can. Um, I think it was just a case of, Reed is the most played and therefore trusted position person in his position. So you want him to play. So if he's saying, I can carry on, you have to give him some minutes to try to carry on. You can yeah. see for the first five, six minutes after he he took the, the injury to the foot, 
that he was trying his best to keep up with play. He was trying to get mobile and movement. Mm. And to be fair to him, he did get some of that back near near the end of the half. He was he was mm. moving a bit more freer, mm. and he had he was able to control his position again. But you could tell he'd lost a step to what he usually has. So I don't think it's wrong to keep him on the pitch if he's saying I can, I'm trying. I want to try push it, especially when you're not completely out of the game. If Wolves had scored a second goal, then immediately you're like, no, we need to change it. But mm. because we weren't completely out of the game. I understand why he was kept. He was kept on until half time, until he could be assessed properly. Um, so this, I don't yeah. think there's too much of an issue with him staying. It's on difficult, the pitch, but it's we difficult one. Did. It's a difficult one. It is, and we and we saw it with the, in the Nottingham Forest game. I know it's a bit different for them. They had two injuries after four minutes, mm. but it could, a change of player too quickly can definitely make you lose shape way more than just having an injured yeah. player in position. Mm. Mm. I think he he did look like he managed to run it off after five or so minutes, and I think at that point you do leave him on. And and I mean, with such a long time left in the game, I can't remember what minute he got injured, but it was it was pretty it was early, early on. It was early, really um, early. You know, you can give him ten minutes to try and run it off and and see if he can make it through the game, and then, like you say, reassess at half time as well. I think it was the right decision to keep him on. Um, but let's let's talk about it. We did get into half time and. Um, Make the two substitutions. Like we've we've all said, it's very unsilver like. We obviously are used to silver kind of waiting till the 80th minute most of the time until he makes any changes. So to see two at half time, you can tell that there's something wrong. And in his post match comments as well, he said, um, you know, we, we sent the team out there to do a job and they didn't do the job in the first half. So I think the changes had to come. Um, like like you mentioned, Ash, um, Bobby Deckard over Reed just didn't look on it. And I don't know if that's fatigue. I don't know if there was an issue there, but his passing was pretty poor throughout. And I think if you're playing on the wing, you have to be able to pass the ball well. And that's, you know, key to what he does, especially playing out of defence. We go down the wings when we play out of defence a lot and you need to be on. And we were losing the ball a lot through that way. So I think we were all expecting Lukic to come on for Reed because of the injury, but... I personally wasn't expecting to see Solomon born on at half time. I was thinking we'd see him maybe around the 60th minute again and Marco would keep with the with the side we've got. But thank God he did make the change because, geez, what a, what a difference Solomon made. Um, let's skip forward because Fulham obviously did um, make a bit more of an impact in the second half after those changes. But um, it was that moment of magic in the 64th minute, the Solomon goal. What I'll do, I'll just pull up a little video for those of us following live. Um, and obviously you can watch all these live podcasts back on YouTube, on Facebook, on Twitter. Uh, I'm going to play the goal, and fortunately we have Gentleman Jim's commentary with it as well. Let's pull it up. Into the box this time, he works his way to the edge of the penalty area. Get in there! What a goal! Solomon again! It's one all, he's done it again for Fulham Manor. Solomon is genius. absolutely magic. Oh, dearie me, Jamie, I just can't get enough of this kid. He's curled it in the far side. The keeper, obviously, with that terrible rib injury, was a little bit immobile. Oh, he's so good. He's so <laughs> good, man. <laughs> hey, Jim? Jim or, Jim or Solomon, yeah. Oh, yeah Ash, honestly, he's so good. Ash, a question, because we, being an Australian, up until recently, when Fulham have been out of the Premier League, the only access we have is through Fulham TV or even before that, just Fulham radio. So we are very used to hearing Gentleman Jim 
commentate full games of football, which is quite an experience. Um, do, do you have you heard much of Gentleman Jim apart from the occasional highlights package? Only, only through FFC TV. Never really. He, he doesn't come on commentary in ten, in sense that we can hear it. It is mm. something that we've all commented about that it would be great if you know we could sort of get him on radio in our earpieces in our ears while we're watching the game. <laughs> but um, it's so yeah, wonderfully one-eyed, and uh, you know he's he's an absolute brilliant listen. He's so good to listen I don't, to. I don't know. I, don't know what you're talking about. He proper sits on the fence, doesn't he? Yeah. Pretty sure I've heard him call opposition players wankers before, so definitely not on the fence. <laughs> well, he got the slight little players. comment about his rib injury. Well, he got, he got oh, no, slight little in, in, the slight little comment about the injury to the, re- the goalie was uh, was brilliant. So. Yeah. Uh, Ash, you you were there. Um, you saw the goal. Um, just walk us through how good that was and, and what it was like after that goes in at the hammy end as well. Well, I think that what was quite funny was we had had five minutes around that goal where we were re- really, really starting to put Wolves under it. But we were having the same problem where once the ball was leaving Solomon's crosses, there was no one at the end of the ball or Mini would not be able to control the ball down or get a header on target. So when he got the ball that time, I thought you could hear it almost collectively when he sort of he took shoot. that first touch out. You could hear you could hear everyone just like shoot. And it was collectively everyone was like, just have a go. Just have a go. And what is quite funny is from from my view from behind the goal, I didn't quite realise he had to he bent it around three players to get it in. Mm-hmm. I sort mm-hmm. of just it looked it looked a lot it looked a lot more of a clear a clear chance from where we were. But yeah, he scores. Um I think I had about four or five people on my back at that point. <laughs> um, it was it was chaos, but what what is what is quite funny is I think some of that chaos was more relief that we managed to actually score, mm. um, and some of it was just it was Solomon. It's just he's just another. It's just a different gravy, isn't he? It? He's just another. He's a different level of player, um, and it's now got to the point where even though in the last three games he's had what. Five minutes, six minutes, and and a half. Every time he gets the ball, you you just expecting him to do something with it. Um, and it's been a while since we've had a player, especially on the wing. I know William mm-hmm. has been special this season in the sense that he he has some great quality and some good end product. But often he gets the ball, and you you sort of just you're expecting him and uh, and Robertson to sort of play around a bit a bit. But whenever Solomon gets the ball, you just want him to show a bit of intent. And that's what I think he does really, really well. Is mm. he's very attack minded. He doesn't look at oh, where's that pass behind me? He looks at who do I take on? Who can I take on? Yeah. You saw that the great, the yeah. greatest explanation, yeah. uh, the greatest sort of example of that was at the Chelsea game at Stamford Bridge when he turned the player on the byline um, mm. when there was an easy pass back to Robinson, but he still turned the player on the byline, and that I think. And that's what he does. I think he brings a lot of excitement, especially to those watching in the stadium. Everyone's on their feet. Something's going to happen. Um, yeah. And as as proved with this goal, you know, it, everyone wanted, and he did, and it was and it was an absolutely superb finish. Yeah. He's um, so directional. Sorry. Yeah, you go. No, I was I was going to throw to you actually, Sammy, because I know you oh, you enjoy talking about thank um, God. <laughs> Enjoy talking about Mudrick at Chelsea and how 
poor he's been so far. And Solomon at Shakhtar was keeping Mudrik on the bench. Mm. And I think we're all starting to understand why now. Mudrik is having a pretty torrid time at Chelsea, considering mm. how much his price tag was. Um, and Solomon, I saw um, Solomon being compared to sort of a prime Eden Hazard um, in the last couple of days. I and did that. You, well, you've done that, but it's it's been in the press now as well. It's out there in the world. Um, you you can see that with the way he moves, how how quick in, and light he is on his feet, and he mm. does what Willian does as well. And he's very quick at being able to shift the ball around under his feet. He's very very skillful, but he's just got that. It's that want for goal that Hazard had as well, where um, every time he just looks like he's always trying to get himself into position to shoot. Or yeah. to at least create some chances, and and we have been missing that. When you compare that to Bobby Reed, who and we love Bobby Reed, and obviously not giving him a hard time, but when you compare it to Bobby Reed, he he's a bit of a workhorse over on the right wing, and he mm. he, he puts in a shift and does a job, but um, he's not. You don't see him cutting in and looking for goal. Even Wilson, you see him trying to trying to do it, but he just doesn't have the same ability that Solomon does. Mm. Um, and it's just so nice having a player like that in your side. Oh yeah, like he's. Uh, I mean, it's literally what Ash said. He's he's a different. He's a different caliber. Like he's. I'm so terrified of losing him because I can just I can see just like Champions League teams just salivate him because he he is what they look for. He has that just kill instinct. I remember I remember I heard like actually like Thierry Henry talk about this ages ago, and he was talking about how like everybody kind of like overcomplicated everything that he did. All he all he ever said was. There was one player in front of me. I just have to beat that one player. And then if there's another player in front of me, I just have to beat that other player. And Solomon just kind of it. Uh, he's so like effortless in the way that he does it. He just he just is that player, and he's just so sure of himself and confident. Because obviously, all these Premier League players are amazing athletes. They're all incredible. But like the the confidence and execution that he has, you just can't teach that. That's just that's just in certain people and he's got that oh man i love him so much he's so and good it, he's it's so the good. skill as well with the ball at his feet dad we were talking about it that moment when defensively he was down on our byline and you you kind of expect a player to just try and boot the ball get it clear and he attempts to at cruyff turn through two defenders manages to nutmeg one of them jumps over the two of their tackles and gets fouled but he was basically away at that point it's just the, the natural ability this guy has with the ball at his feet is just something, like like Ash said, we haven't seen at Craven Cottage in, God, I don't know how many years, probably since Moussa Dembele for me, someone who technically is so good with the ball at their feet. Mm. He's, he's, he's also, everything about him is fast. He's very quick. He's, mm. and, and he's got a very quick mind. He's got obviously very quick feet. But he's, he's, he's very... He makes very, very good, fast decisions, which is why he's so exciting to watch because he loses players very, very quickly, players that, that are standing up, not doing anything wrong, and but he'll get around them. And that's what's exciting to watch about him. Mm. And I think, uh, yeah, obviously, everyone's in agreement uh, that he... God, can you just imagine if we'd had a full season of him? Now, that's oh, incredibly yeah. unlucky yeah. that he hasn't featured uh and mind you he probably wasn't fully fit when he came to us anyway but he certainly would have been by christmas mm. and um you know it um 
yeah, the mind boggles. <clears throat> yeah. So, oh, wonderful stuff. Um, let's talk about the the one other sort of moment in the game where where Fulham could have closed it out. Um, a Vinicius header towards the end, where you just wish we had Mitra on the pitch at that moment, uh, because well, no. it's, it's one of those yeah. ones that Mitra just buries, and mm. and he doesn't even have to think twice about it. Um, Ash, I mean, there were mo- multiple times during the game where we we all wished Mitro was out there from just poor first touches from Vinicius, who I don't think he had a terrible game, but he he got completely outplayed by, I think it was Kilman was man-marking him throughout basically the whole game. And I don't think he won a header all game, especially from the long balls forward. Um, he won a handful in the box, but really we're, we're just missing Mitro. And I, I mean, I'm hopeful that, He's, he's almost definitely not going to play in the FA Cup game, but you expect that he'll be back the week after. Do you think Mitro coming back into this side will make a big difference? Or do you think, you know, Vinicius has been a, an able understudy? I would say that we're chalking cheese with Mitro and without Mitro. I think mm. that having Mitro up top adds so much to everybody else's game because there's confidence in the person that the ball's going into. I think mm. four or five times during the game, and it's part of the reason why quite a lot of our crosses were a bit wafty and a bit poor, was they went and went to nobody. It's because they went into the positions that Mitro would take up, not yeah. the positions that Vinny 100%. would take up. And I think I think that's our biggest problem. And it's been our problem for a couple of seasons. It was our problem last year when we had Muniz under, under Mitro, is that we're expecting whoever's paying understudy to him to be him. And he isn't. Mitro is probably one of the most on-form strikers in world football in the last year and a half. So you miss, of course, you're going to miss him when he's not there. I think that mm. the header itself for that shot was was weak. It was it yeah. screamed, I've got no confidence in trying to finish this goal. Mm. And it may have been because the rest of the game he was he was sort of a bit on his own and a bit mm. isolated as much as Pereira was trying to be there to support him. He was, he was sort of, he was on his own and he isn't. Yeah. I think we've had this argument for, for a little while that we need a second striker who isn't a carbon copy of Mitro. We need, we need to get back to the days when we have, you know, uh, an Andy Johnson up front as well as a Mitro. We need someone who can mm. play the second striker. And I think almost anybody else on that pitch buries that header. In fact, I'm pretty sure if you put Leno up front, he buries that header. And I think that's... <laughs> oh, that, that, I don't know about that. I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure he, uh, that header was it was weak. And I think one of the biggest problems with, with it was that you could tell, even by his reaction after he missed it, that he wasn't shocked he missed it. And mm. I think that says a lot, an awful lot. And you think that... I, I understand why, and you can't... You can't say that you don't. He scored a massive winner against Chelsea and was dropped the next week. Um and as much as he as much as he is doing really well at being a squad player, and you can tell that he's definitely, you know, from videos offline, he's definitely got a lot of camaraderie with the guys in the squads. Mm. And it is almost impossible to find top quality strikers who are willing to play second fiddle. And we know that. Mm. Um but we definitely are weaker without Mitro up front. Um, and ev- I think anyone who says otherwise is just completely burying their head in the sand that they're not the same player. Um, mm. And again, it's not knocking Vinny because I think 
he tries and you can see there's a lot of effort put in yeah it's just definitely. his quality level isn't the same and i won't yeah. ever knock someone who puts the effort in i think you know one of one of the things that goes along with that is that he he on even on friday night he did not stop running he did not stop trying to make the positions he did not stop trying to be where the ball was going but it got to the point especially in the second half where he was sort of chasing the ball a bit and not finding mm -hmm. his own position um, and uh, Mitro wouldn't do that. Mitro, yes, Mitro drops deep. Yes, Mitro drops out wide. Yes, he does those things. But he does that sort of naturally as part of his game. Whereas yeah. Vinny had to over overthink doing that. It's so, um, yeah. and I think that I think I think that's 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 it. And I think the everybody else around him sort of it 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 not not to make everyone worse, but they don't know where to put the ball because mm -hmm. where's he going to be? And I think that sort of goes down to when they when they when when they're training, is he and Vin, is he and Mitro just doing the same things? Are they doing different things? Um, but you know, it, again, I won't knock him because he definitely put effort in. He definitely worked hard. He just he, he just is low on confidence, and it, the ability level isn't the same as Mitro's. And we need to look at, especially during the summer, about well, start looking now. I think we can all agree we're sort of. We're safe now. We need to start yeah. looking at getting someone better next season who can either play understudy or play alongside Mitro. Mm. Um, well, I mean, obviously, Vinicius is is here just on loan, so he won't be here next season, most likely. Uh, you wouldn't have thought we'll, we'll be exercising any options, even if we have an option there. But, uh, you know, there's definitely options out there, and you probably look to the championship at people like uh, Giorgio as a at Coventry, who's knocked in 20 goals again this season. I think he got about the same last year. Um, and, and, you know, we, we have to say as well, we've been unlucky. Mitra, I think, only missed two games for the whole of last season in the Championship. Um, mm. He's missed six already in the Premier League this season with still, you know, 13 games to go. We, we, we have been a little bit unlucky with his injuries this year. He's picked up a few. Um, and he's if I think if we didn't have the World Cup this year, it'd be very different because he would have... Yeah, yeah, properly recovered from his injury, had a proper rest, and and he might have been out for four games straight, but we'd see a fully fit Mitra after that, and he's definitely just been off it and picking up injuries a lot, a lot easier than you'd expect him to. Um, mm. Well, I, but don't you think? Don't you think there's a probably um, a tendency <clears throat> or a pressure when Mitro is so integral and we play so well and depend so much on Mitro being on the pitch that. If he's got a niggle, you don't actually bench him. You 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 know, and Mitro, yeah, 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 I'm up for it. And you tend to play players like that longer than mm. you should, even though you should actually send them off to rehab and get them fully fit. Yeah, I think it's been said it? before. We'd we'd rather have a fifty percent Mitro than a hundred percent Vinicius up front. Yeah, mm. and also as well with those players, like they it's not will, sustainable. They, yeah, but with those players, they'll lie about how bad their injuries actually are because they have that, like, they have those things where they, they just want to play. They don't care, like, whether their foot's almost coming off. Their foot basically has to come off to stop them from playing. That's how they get to, like, that level. So they're never going to be fully upfront with how crappy they're actually feeling. Especially people. Uh, I think even if he even if he told us he was fifty percent, we'd still probably try and put him on the field. And we we have oh, done totally. that the whole season as well. Totally, totally. Anyway, let's keep moving because we've got a fair bit to get through for the rest. Uh, a quick look at the couple of stats from the game. Possession fairly even. Um, 
shots also fairly even. Fulham had a few more on target. I, I don't know how. Um, I think at half time, well, a couple of long shots, a couple of long shots. Yeah, and a couple of blocked shots as well. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah, it's it definitely don't tell the whole story there. I wouldn't have thought. The one thing I will bring a little bit of attention to, and it's something that's popped up, and we'll talk about in the tweets later as well. Fulham with twelve fouls and two yellow cards. Um, yeah. the, there was the yellow card for Polina, which was his first foul of the whole game as well, and I don't think it was terrible. And uh, remind me who got it was. I mean, it was it was a professional. I guess it was a professional foul, so it was. But he does look like he tries to pull his leg away a little bit there. So mm. it was probably a yellow card, and we're maybe just being a bit um, butt hurt about it. But um, the the one thing I do want to pull up though was seventeen fouls for Wolves, and Lamina especially was one that mm. I thought committed five or six. I'd call professional fouls as well, where Fulham was starting to break, and he just completely slow down play. By making a cynical tackle, and the I fact that Wolves didn't get away with, uh, I'm not sure about that, but um, the fact that Wolves walked away with no yellow cards to that game, and like I said, we'll talk about it in the tweets. I, I was incredibly surprised by, because I think there were multiple opportunities where Wolves players should have been yellow carded, purely on um, the the volume of tackles rather than how bad the tackles themselves actually were. Um. Ash, your, your thoughts on that? You obviously were there seeing Wolves constantly taking guys down. I think the thing is, is Wolves, Wolves' fouls were, they were smart. Mm. If you're playing that type of game where you know that the team you're playing against are playing better than you or are, have a bit more ability than you, you, you make smart fouls like that. We did the exact same thing last week at Brighton. We cannot moan about their game plan because we did the exact same thing last week at Brighton where we were being niggly. The thing that was annoying was uh, you you sort of put out Lamina. I would pull out Neves. I think Neves was worse yeah. than Lamina. I think he committed a, a way more. I don't I don't think 17 fouls is correct if I'm if <laughs> like by my counting. Uh, Neves was very niggly. He committed loads of small fouls. Um and every time the ball was stopped or the ball went out of play, he'd kick it away if it was anywhere near him. There's a lot of petulance from from Neves. Um, again, it's smart play from him because he did it loads of times and not once did the referee have a word. And I think they just kept getting away with it because of it. So I think the thing you look at, yes, we've committed 12 fouls and got two yellow cards. Our two yellow cards were definitely yellow cards. Um, the Polini tackle... The second he made it, you could, he was just like, yeah, he knew. Uh, you mm. could, there was an audio. I don't know how how if you guys picked it up on on TV, he, he, but you could tell everyone an it, audio groan. Yeah, like, mm. you know what was coming. And the Pereira yellow card was well, actually, it's the type of yellow card I love to see players get. Um, I said the same. One of our players well. gets barged yeah. really hard in the back, and then he just ran up to somebody like he was protecting the teammate. So I don't really mind mm -hmm. that too much. But the difference is, is that our two yellow cards were strong tackles and all of their fouls were just niggly little things. Don't someone but should I have been yellow ref, carded because it... Yeah. I think a ref should pick up on that and go, This isn't actually just for you. It's based on the fact that your whole team is constantly niggly fouling someone and it's obviously a bit of a tactic here. And I think a good ref picks up on that and starts handing out yellow cards yeah. when that's happening. Yeah, right. and and you shut it down. Yeah. And I, I don't know if you guys, well, you, I'm sure you would have seen it. You may not recall it. I think it was, uh, I'm going to say it's 87th, 88th minute. 
Um, and the ball goes out. In fact, we get a free kick. The ball's gone out. And there were two interceptions, one by Lamina, where he just kicked the ball back in the same direction that the player was passing it from. Mm. And then uh, another player, I don't know who it was. I think it was Traore it was another one. Uh, mm. he, he basically in, in you know in the ball coming back to the guy taking the free kick, which must have been Pereira. Pure time wasting. Yeah, two interceptions, and the ref did nothing about it at that point from, in the from game. My angle, from my angle, I don't think Lamina actually kicked the ball away. I think the ball was kicked against him um, okay. because as soon as it hit him, as soon as it hit him, he put his hand up to apologise. But right, the okay. second player, the second player definitely made a conscious yeah. effort to to put his foot out. And that mm-hmm. is exactly yeah. what it is. That's when the referee needs to go, you, know, you guys are taking the mick now. Like yeah. someone yeah. that like you're and stronger refs. And I think this has been the biggest problem that everyone's been moaning about this year is there's a lot of refs that are sort of not controlling the players around them. Um and it's a big problem in English football at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um that the refs aren't controlling the players around them. Um, it's why we have players like we have that problem that uh, Paulinho has has sort of a reputation now. So as soon as he makes any tackle that looks remotely strong, no matter how good it is, he's getting yellow carded for it. We saw that with the Brighton yellow card, yeah. where that tackle looks strong, but because of who it is, it's a straight yellow card. Mm. Um, so it's one of the it's one of those things that we have to be wary of that, and it's it's smart play, and it, it's frustrating because it's, you're on the end of it. But it's smart to just be sort of niggly little challenges under the radar here and there, yeah. Mm. But that's when you need a ref who is keeping count and being like, "It's it's clear what you guys are doing." Um, but I wouldn't. Sit, I'm not going to sit here and moan about the ref and berate the ref because we didn't get a result on Friday because it wasn't it wasn't the ref's fault. Um, but he could have controlled it a lot better than he did. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. You know, yellow cards aren't going to win you a game at the end of the day, but. It's just something that I've noticed in the last few weeks. And I know Fulham are not a soft touch anymore. And we do go in pretty hard, especially with our tackling. And you're bound to pick up more yellow cards. But we're streaks ahead of anyone in the yellow card league at the moment. And mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure that that's actually reflective of how we play most weeks. Um, looking at the table, this is updated as of uh, Sunday morning. Um, so we've got Arsenal, obviously, still sitting on top. Saw a little change there. Tottenham have leapfrogged Newcastle. Um, but with Liverpool dropping points last night uh, with their draw against Crystal Palace, we still have a bit of, little bit of breathing space there, despite them having a game in hand. They're still three points behind us. We've obviously got uh, Brighton and Brentford breathing down our necks as well. But hopefully a few results go away and we can actually see that gap maintained. And uh, hopefully we pick up some points from a pretty tough little run of fixtures coming up where we've got Brentford, Arsenal and Liverpool in the league. Two of those, obviously, without Polina, but we'd be hoping that we'd see Mitre back in the side. And I guess another comment, we, we haven't really mentioned it yet, but um, our, our thoughts on Lukic, who I guess this, this is the most we've seen on him, the fact that he got a full 45 minutes. Um, Dad, what were your thoughts on on his performance? Just quite quickly, because we've still got a fair bit to get through. But sure. um, yeah, on, on, on Lukic's 45 that he put in. I thought he looked really, really good. Um, I thought he's... Movement and positioning was great. He's actually pretty quick. He's, he's got a very quick turn of speed, uh, but he looks like a smart footballer as well. He's very very skillful. I, I, I really liked the look of him. And I think if we think about 
you know, the anxiety that we had with uh, Chalabar being a replacement for either Polina or Reed. Um, that's he's he's obviously an excellent replacement, and he looks he looks really really good. I thought yeah. he looked good. Sammy. Yeah, completely agree. Um, just uh, his level of control, his level of composure, really, really like that, especially on this like, first time getting that much time. Just seems so comfortable. You can tell he's a, a very good quality football player that um, responds to pressure extremely well. I thought he went out there, he did his job, and I thought he looked choice. Very excited to see him play properly. And Ash, anything to add to that? I think... Assessment's absolutely correctly solid, and I think that is the 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 most sort of the best way and the, the most praise I can give him. He looks solid, and considering the fact that he is new to the team, new to teammates, can't speak with everyone freely just yet. Um, <laughs> it does say an awful lot that I think we've got a special. I think he's going to be a special player next season. Um, mm. So I think he's a good, great. He's been a great addition so far. Just want to see more of him, really. Yeah, and I think the good thing is we're likely to see, I'm almost certain he'll play um, at least a part. I'd expect him to play the full game in the FA Cup tie we've got coming up. And then he'll obviously get a couple of Premier League games under his belt, having to come in against Brentford and Arsenal. Going to be a couple of tough games, so it's a bit of a baptism of fire for him. But I think it's actually going to be the best thing for him as well to to kind of throw him in the deep end there. And Mm. um, hopefully he can build a bit of confidence from there and actually start putting a bit of pressure on Maybe not Polina, but it'll be pressure on Reed. I would have thought for that other starting spot in the in the starting lineup. Um, look, we've got a couple of questions, so let's jump to those. They've both come from our little um, Fulham group over here in WA. Uh, first one is from Paul. Uh, Paul says, "Do you think qualifying for Europe next season would be detrimental to us establishing establishing ourselves in the Premier League once again?" Suppose it's a catch-22 in that qualifying for Europe would make us a more attractive position for players to want to come to Fulham. Ash, uh, I'll jump to you first on this one. Do you think uh, a European campaign would be detrimental? I think last time we were in Europe, we all had the exact same question, didn't we? Before we got there, is it going to be, is it going to hinder us? Um, I think in terms of the ability to then recruit better players um it, it's it's going to be absolutely key in order to make sure that we can go out and we can find four or five more players who take us up another level um the biggest problem with europe isn't necessarily the the playing stuff it's just the workload mm. um but i think we have to be smart in going forward i think if we get into europe you know this summer we're going to have to sign probably another seven eight players in order yeah. to be able to keep up with the workload, um, as well as probably push a few of our youngsters through, which is something that we all want. And I think, again, we are pushing for Europe and we're hoping for Europe, obviously. I still think that, you know, we're going to have to be pretty solid between now and the end of the season to get into Europe. Um, but I think that we we need to use what's remaining of the season to maybe blood in a few of the younger players especially some of the guys coming through at the academy level the under 21s who have been who have done really really well this season maybe need to start getting some game time because next season they may well be needed in order to make sure that we can meet all the requirements of playing in the premier league and in europe um but 
I think we have to wait and see if we actually get to Europe before we worry about it. Um, I think West Ham have had that issue this year where they stretched themselves so thin last year that they've struggled this year to keep up. Um, and I know they're in Europe again this year, which hasn't helped them in the Premier League. So, yes, it is obviously it is a catch-22. We know it's a catch-22. But I think we have to look at it positively and we have to go, even if we only go into a group stage and we don't get out of the group stages of Europe, that alone will help us recruit players that will get us, should see us in a better stead in the Premier League to even go for Europe next season as well. Mm. Um, but I don't want to get too ahead of myself because, you know, the Fulham fan in me says that we shouldn't, we're not allowed to get too positive. <laughs> like, things will go wrong. Still so haven't have reached to, have 40 to... points yet, so... <laughs> yeah, I think we're safe, if I'm being absolutely I, think so. I, yeah. I am, <laughs> I am, I am calling that I think we're safe, which is why I think that... It depends on what the what the team's actual what they what they actually want to do. If we want to finish in Europe this year, then maybe we can't blood in too many young players right now. We need to mm. keep pushing for wins. But as soon as we looks like Europe may be a thing, we need to start pushing some youth through um, to try and sort of make sure that next year we have a squad that has is capable of sort of meeting every single game we have to play. Yeah, um, Sammy, anything to add to that? Uh, no, I was pretty much going to echo the exact same points. Um, the one thing I just add is that, uh, yeah, we probably need to buy about six or seven more players, maybe even eight. But I'm actually really confident and happy with um, the Khan's level of like recruitment that they've done really in like the past year. You asked me that two years ago, probably wouldn't have had the same response. But now I think um, we're an attractive club with a very key goal in mind a very um, attractive playing style. And I think we can actually get some decent players on board, especially if it's Champions League. Like, come on. <laughs> it's not Champions League, but yeah, fair enough. Dad, anything to add? <laughs> no, not really. Other than I, I'd say that I am completely comfortable that Silver and his team are smart. And I think they have managed a tricky situation with, you know, uh, quite a modest set of talent to begin with, and they've built through that. He's he's gained the trust of the Khans, which is obviously releasing the dollars he needs and the management team needs to get the players. And I think there's clearly there's a lot of trust, which op opens the the checkbook. And uh, so I, I think I'm, I'm perfectly comfortable if we end up in Europe, they'll do all the appropriate things. And, and, and I don't see us running into <clears throat> a West Ham kind of situation where we go in and spread ourselves too thin. I think, I think we're smarter than that. I certainly I want to believe that. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right. Well, I hope you're right anyway. Um, talking of opening the checkbook, another question come in from Samuel here. Uh, how do we keep Manor? Dad, I... how? Oh, it's it's probably more of a what do we what do we have to do to keep Manor Champions League? Uh, that's what we have to do. So, I, I think I, I I didn't actually watch the post match press conference with with um, Silva, but I believe that's where he revealed probably to ease the pressure on himself and the whole situation where he revealed that Manor Solomon is actually not fully fit and ready for 90 minutes, whether that's his personal opinion 
whether that's a team opinion, whether it's something that that everyone, including Manor Solomon, agrees with. I don't know. Manor keeps on saying, I want to be out there. I want to be out there. But why wouldn't he? You know, he's 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 obviously very keen. So the, the, the reason I'm mentioning that is that obviously uh, we were all probably getting quite nervous that there's something, there, there's a, a tension building there that Manor Solomon is feeling like he's being overlooked and what the hell do I have to do kind of thing to get a start. Whereas perhaps it's more, a lot more under control. And you would never want a situation where he didn't feel valued and loved and respected and that he was not going to get the opportunity that everyone, including he, believes he deserves. So I, I just hope that he's got a, you know, he's got a good head on his shoulders and he realises that he's had a significant injury. We're trying to protect him. We're bringing him back. And it's a matter of, and I, and I think that that FA Cup tie against Sunderland was a great opportunity to give him an opportunity to come into to playing more minutes. It just the, the timing was probably pretty perfect. Um, and I understand Silver's view that if, if you can't give me 90 minutes, I probably don't want to start him um, and then be forced to make a change um, at halftime or maybe sooner or at the, I don't know, 50th, 60th minute. I can understand that because if if you're forced to make a change because one player runs out of steam, which is kind of the Williams situation we, we have every week, uh, that 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 is a difficult situation for a manager to deal with. Whereas if he knows Manor Solomon is good for 40, 50 minutes tops, I can work with that. I, I I think I get it. But back to how do we keep him? We play him. We love him. We scream for him. I mean, the crowd love him. He must be feeling that. You'd, you'd, you'd have to be, you know, blind and deaf to not feel that as a player, surely. And uh, so I think we 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 give him Europe. He's, got, he's going to want to play in Europe. He's already tasted Champions mm-hmm. League. He's going to want Europe. And but I think he's he's obviously very ambitious as a player as well. Yeah, that's what and, I'm worried about. <laughs> um, but he's only he's also 23, and he could, you know, as much as he might want to play for one of the big teams in Spain or I don't know PSG or whatever. But playing Premier League football has got to be pretty cool for a 23 year old from Israel. And um, I would have thought if he can feel comfortable and loved at Fulham uh, on, on a good financial deal, it's 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 not the worst place to be. Do you know what actually also really stresses me out? And I will, uh, like, this is my tinfoil hat, and, I be- and yeah, you can call me out on this if you need to, but I just think he's so marketable as well. Like, he's crazy marketable, and that just, like, makes him so attractive to, like, top six teams. I'm so worried about this. I really am. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. Uh, I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to keep moving on, guys, because um, oh. we're we're running pretty long here. Um, let's go through to the the tweets. We picked out quite a few tweets. So we need to really rattle through these if we can. Um, we'll start with um, one dad from Fulham Fan News at Fulham Transfer on Twitter. 
Yeah, so Fulham fan news. Uh, Sasaluki, Chad, a 94% pass success rate and 100% tackle success rate against Wolves last night. Game changer. I think it echoes what we already said. And it was interesting. He kind of flew a little bit under my radar on the first watch because maybe I was so... My, my eyes and ears were everywhere else. But um, on my second watch, I, I watched him pretty carefully. I thought it was excellent, really excellent. And those stats don't surprise me. Yeah, I think um, when we're looking for the fact that we, we knew that we had no cover in midfield, um, it, it's definitely nice to have someone like Lukic join the team who, who had such a good first outing. This is the first time we've seen him play a decent amount of minutes. So I'm looking forward to seeing him start in a few games coming forward. Uh, on to the next one, one from Cottage Analytica here. Yeah, uh, Fulham have now conceded the sixth fewest goals uh, on goals per game basis in the Premier League. This is despite conceding the second highest number of expected goals. Indeed, Fulham have conceded 9.6 fewer goals uh, than expected by Optimodel. Uh, that's, is it Optimodels? Yeah, yeah Optimodels. Okay. And yeah, Ash, how... How good has Leno been? You've obviously seen him in the flesh and seen what a difference it is and, and the levels between Leno and Rodak as well. How how great is it being having a goalkeeper of that level back at Fulham? A breath of fresh air, basically. I think there's he he gives everyone confidence, which I think is the most important thing. I think it's helped by the fact that there's been probably into the double figures, the amount of games this year that we've got points out of because of his performances. And he goes under the radar a bit, a lot, mainly because of how well Tim Ream's playing, just how much he controls the box. He talks a lot. If you if, if you watch it from the stands, you can see that he's, he's in constant communication with everyone around him. And you don't get that so much with Rodak. And I think that it, that's partly his experience and it's the player he is, but we haven't had a goalkeeper. Uh, we haven't had a goalkeeper as good as him since Mark Schwarzer. Yeah, and you know you'd put him in that bracket of top quality goalkeepers. You know Mark Schwarzer, Edmund Van der Sar, sort of level of goalkeeper. You don't sign someone who was the first choice goalkeeper at Arsenal and him not be a quality goalkeeper. The fact mm. that we've got him for as little as we've got him for is amazing work by the Khans. And and Silver's team, whoever sort of put that deal together, um, he is he is an absolute incredible goalkeeper, um, and he, if he came here to put himself in a position to keep us up, he's done more than that. I think just alone on in the Brighton game, he, he didn't really have to make too many saves, but the saves he made were outstanding. You look at the Nottingham Forest game; he didn't have to do much, but he was outstanding when he had to be called on. I think that's. That it's not just a case of levels. His concentration levels are absolutely outstanding. And I know that we we do concede an awful lot of, you know, we have a lot of X, that XG against us, but I, I'm never really worried that we're going to concede loads of goals. And I think that makes a nice change. Well, I'm never really concerned we're going to go and get an absolute battering in games um, because you're confident in him being in goal. Um, and I think it helps that, you know, Tim Ream in front of him listens to him a lot. Um, I, I grew up, I was a goalkeeper when I played. Goalkeeper was my position as a kid. So I, I watched goalkeepers an awful lot. Um, and Leno is, is definitely 
a level of goalkeeper we've not had in a long time. And that's not putting Rodak down because I do like Rodak, but he's not he's not Leno. He's just yeah. he's not. Hundred um, percent, and, and we're lucky to have it. I agree. On to the next one. This is one from Jack and Loz. Yeah, Jack and Loz, who, again, big shout-out to them. I love reading their blog, and I love their, their take on, on things and, the, and their, the way they describe their, their attendance at matches. Our man of the match, man of the match uh, has scored three goals in three games, each better than the last, which is also true. But this was an uncertain outing for Fulham, and the rest means a feature, sorry, and, and the result means a feature of this season is that lesser-known Cosner movie draws with wolves. Nice, nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, and there's a little reference to their blog. Yeah, well yep. done again, uh, Jack and Loz. Big big fans of, of their blog, so definitely have a read if you don't already. Uh, one here from Telegraph Football, which I thought was really interesting and just a mark of how far Solomon's come in the last 12 oh. months. Yeah, there's a couple of articles about this, and I think uh, I can't remember who it was. Somebody did a feature in uh, one of the papers this week. A year ago today, Manus Solomon was awoken by the sound of a Russian airstriking in uh, Kiev. Kiev. Yeah. Um, I did. Crazy to think of. Tra- crazy to think of of the fact that he was basically in a war zone this time last year. And now he's banging in goals in the Premier League. It's um, a, a bit of a crazy story uh, and not one you expect to happen in, in professional football or just in general. Um, yeah. On to another interesting one, this one from Fulham Flutter on Twitter. Um, an interesting graph here. Uh, sorry, it's a little bit small on the live feed. It is small on the live feed and small on the screen in front of me, but and it's a long one, so I won't try to read all of this. But what it highlights is effectively... The amount, um, the amount that each team have paid per point in the Premier League table. So at the top, you've got Brentford, who've um, only paid forty-five point seven million pounds per point for their thirty-five points. In other words, it's a uh, one point three million pounds per point. Uh, Fulham are at in fourth place, having paid. Um, is that a, is that a sorry? Is that a hundred? Yeah, that, no, it's one one point one point six four million per point. Yeah, one point six four million uh, compared to Brentford's one point three million, mm-hmm. and then you know at the <laughs> in last position, without any surprise, is Chelsea having paid eighteen point nine five million pounds per Yay. point. Um, and some pretty pretty solid <laughs> pretty solid mentions in the. The sort of bottom half of the table uh, by Man U and Newcastle and Spurs, you know, between 3.76 and 4.4 million pounds per point. It's quite an interesting way of looking at it. And I guess from a business perspective, the only way of looking at it. Um, And good to see that Fulham are at the right end of the table. Obviously, Brentford and Brighton and Palace uh, uh, doing, doing really good business as well. Yeah, the, the one one point to make there is that's just on uh, expenditure in this season. So Fulham only spent sixty two million in the transfer window, whereas Chelsea obviously spent five hundred and eighty seven million in the transfer windows this season. So um, 
but yeah, interesting to see Forrest I'm, down I'm there. Saying Chelsea, I'm saying Chelsea doesn't well. move off the bottom bottom spot. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I mean, man, five year view on it. You used to say Man Man City of fifty two points. They, they've spent one hundred and thirty three million in in these two windows. Yes, but across the last um, four or five years, that number is much much higher. And so, um, mm. it is just this window. They haven't had to sign many players. Only signed a handful. Um, mm. Anyway, on to the next slide. Um, and this is one we were talking about with the, with the stats earlier. This is from Delorain FFC on Twitter. Yeah, and, and uh, says, this is really starting to give me the hump with steam coming out of the nostrils avatar. Uh, Faust committed in yellow cards in brackets. Um, Chelsea, 16, one card. Fulham, 12, four cards. Uh, away, sorry, that was away to Chelsea and away to Brighton. Uh, 12, 12 yellows, zero cards. Fulham, 14 yellows, five cards. And then home, fouls, Fulham to Wolves. Sorry, beg your pardon. 14 fouls, five cards. Home to, to Wolves, uh, 12 yellows, two cards. And Wolves, 17 yellows, zero cards. Fouls, not yellows. And, Fulham, 12 fouls, uh, two yellow cards. Wolves, 17 fouls, zero yellow cards. It's basically yeah. Fulham in total there with 38 fouls and picking up 11 cards from those and the opposition in those games with uh what's that 35 fouls and picking up just the one yellow card yeah um does seem a little bit lopsided when you look like it look at it like that as ash mentioned obviously there's there's quite a difference in in some of those fouls and uh, it's understandable sometimes when there are yellow cards going one way and not the other but it does seem like there's a little bit of a possibly a reputation that Fulham have picked up to pick up 11 yellow cards in three games where, you know, maybe, maybe half of those were fair. Um, and the other half seem like they possibly were, were because of a reputation rather than fairly given. Or we just need to get a bit smarter at how we actually uh, concede fouls. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a couple of tweets here that are sort of along the same lines. One from um, MJG, who's 1966MJG on Twitter. Another from Shaggin Whites on Twitter as well. Yeah. So on reflection, maybe time to shake things up a bit. Going to have... Uh, uh, sorry. Going going have to happen anyway. Going to have to happen anyway with suspensions and possibly injuries. Um, the core of the team have played a lot, a lot of games, and I think we all agree we looked a bit flat and bereft of ideas. Yes, missing, missing Metro, but should offer more, which is is kind of uh, um, echoes the sentiments of what we've been talking about uh, today. And then another one from uh, Shagging White's, uh, Lukic and Solomon completely changed that game, technically on, on a whole different level compared to Reed and BDR, however much I love the both of them. And again, I think we probably... Uh, we'd probably wholeheartedly agree with that. Yeah, I think the fact that we, we're going to be forced into making a couple of changes and also having Mitro come back into this team will make a big difference because um, it, it has looked like we are bereft of ideas in the last few games. And admittedly, we've still picked up points from those games, but I think there, there's probably a need for a bit of a shake-up at the moment. And I think we're going to see Solomon start. We'll see Lukic obviously start soon. And Mitro starts, so you have three players coming into the into the first team lineup um, over the next couple of weeks who haven't been playing. I, th- I think that's going to make quite a big difference. Um, 
Sammy, your quiz for today. I'm Rock always worried, but let's see how we go. Is it really a quiz? I think it's just more of just like a state of general opinions. But yeah, we're going to... Sam's we'll thing. Yeah. Sam's thing. Sam's thing. Show it some respect. Okay. So today we're recasting the Justice League. <laughs> um, so Tony Khan, he's, he's bought the rights. He's like, I want to load this up with Fulham players. So you need to think marketability. You need to think who can pull off the role best. So we're starting with Superman. Tom Kenny or Tim Ream, who's your pick? Ash, you can go first. Superman, uh, Tim Ream. Nice. Tim Ream, yeah, for sure. I think he... He, uh, he has the ground. He, he's everyone's Superman. He's everyone's Superman this year, isn't he? Gotta love him. <laughs> yeah, got to be Tim Ream for me as well. Dad, where just, you at? Just yeah. have a look. Yeah, I'm Tim, I'm, I'm Tim Ream for sure. Wow, I didn't think it was going to be that overwhelming. Okay, Man flat. of Steel. Yeah, that's true. The Flash, Manor Solomon or Harrison Reed. I wasn't going to put Dan James in there, but yeah. It would have been tougher if you'd had Dan James in there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll do. Okay. Yeah. If, okay. If it was um, Solomon or Dan James, which one would you go for then? I would still say Solomon. Yes. I I, I would say Solomon because Solomon's fast. Dan James is fast, but I think there's a, there's a bit more control from Solomon with his fast. Yes. So I'm going to say Solomon. The Flash is all about control, Dad. <laughs> yeah, 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 I agree. Agree. Okay, okay, a bit. Okay, a bit of um, a different one. Cyborg, Leno, or Tete? For the uninformed, Cyborg is the half um, robot, half man guy. <laughs> Leno Dad, looks like Leno looks like he was built in a factory. So I'd, I'd pick Leno there. Yeah. Oh, ter- terrible national stereotype, but uh, I think we're all going with that one. I think. Uh, He's got yeah. Mercedes Benz inner parts running through his. Yeah, there's oil in those <laughs> veins for sure. It's, it's too <laughs> unanimous this week. We needed more discourse. I had a more serious one, but I was like, that that could create more time. We're we're running on the clock here. Um, all right, okay. And the last one to close it out: Batman, Mitrovic, or Jao Palinja. Um, I'm I'm going to go. Palinja. Yeah, Palinja. I think Mitrovic is actually. Yeah. Definitely one of the villains in in a Batman story. Yeah, but that's what Batman <laughs> kind of is, though. Batman has a darkness in him, you know. But it's very, very concealed. Uh, in in a and someone who probably looks right in a suit, Mitrovic would not look like right in a suit. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I think Mitro's too angry to be Batman. Oh, but Batman's <laughs> super angry though. Oh uh, yeah, but he's but calm it's concealed, it's all internal. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. true. Actually, yeah, no. for me. I'm going. I was Batman. hoping you'd, you'd I want to see a Kelly. Fukundo yeah, yeah. Sava there getting the, the mask out of his sock. I tried to keep it current, you know. I tried to, yeah. <laughs> and then that's we all that's, done that's, that's that's Yeah, yeah, we're all, done. we're all done. Not as not as bad as usual. So give that one a six out of ten. Jesus. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna give that an eight and a half out of ten, particularly since you picked my favorite superheroes last. I like that. I was gonna do. I was literally gonna do the Avengers, but I know Dad doesn't know the Avengers, so I literally had to pick the ones that he knew. Very cool. That's very generous of you, Sam. I'm a generous guy. So look, guys, uh, it's been a really good discussion, and uh, Ash, it's been really great having you join the podcast for today. Um, we're gonna try and get Ash included um, as our man on the ground over in London. Obviously, as we we're unable to be there um, and be able to give us a bit more of perspective from actually being inside Craven Cottage and um, just around 
the the club and the community a little bit more as well. So, Ash, it's been been really great having you on the podcast today. Yes, absolute pleasure. Thanks very much for having me. Um, can I just quickly say, um, I obviously you know that FFC and me is a new thing that we're starting up about trying to get no fans. Uh, anyone sort of especially around the world who is on Twitter, please give FFC and me a follow. Um, we're looking to sort of interview some fans from around the world uh, soon. So I would love some more people to get involved with that. So if anyone could give us a follow uh, and get involved, that would be really, really great. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm really looking forward to to those coming out and uh, getting to understand the stories of a few more Fulham fans around the world. I think it's a really great idea. And um, yeah, like Ash said, please do get in contact with him at FFC and me on, on Twitter. Um, and yeah, we're looking forward to having you on the podcast a bit more often going forward as well, Ash. It's been really great having you today. Yeah. Um, thanks, guys. I really say I really enjoyed the podcast. Thanks. Good stuff. Thank you. Um, Sammy, thanks for joining us again today. Good of you to actually make one for once. I know, I know, I know. I, I graced you with my presence, but no, very happy to be here. I'm quite hot right now, but it, it, it was worth it was worth the sweat. I'm very, yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks. <laughs> we'll see you in another three weeks, I'm sure. Ugh. And uh, <laughs> Dad, thanks for joining today. Yeah, pleasure. Good, healthy discussion. Long one, but uh, good one. Yeah, and, um, you know, like we say every week as well, please do like and subscribe to us. on. Uh, we're on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify. You're able to find us on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook. Sammy's still knocking out the TikToks one by one as well. Um, and, look, we really appreciate it when you guys uh, share That's So Craven with, with your Fulham friends. Um, get us a few more listeners and, uh, yeah, keep it growing. So, look, until next time, come on, you whites.